0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews called The Sermon God Wrote. We call it that because the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that was later turned into a book, uh, turned into a letter that was passed around to different churches. We call it The Sermon God Wrote because we don't really know who the human author is. It's an anonymous sermon, an anonymous letter, but we do know that all scripture is breathed out by God. And so that's why we've called uh, it that. Today's passage is verses 32 through 39, and we're looking at uh, the subject of persecution, and it's actually very timely and very providential, as it is obviously Memorial Day weekend and we're celebrating, uh, maybe uh, you know, taking a day off or celebrating with family and friends, the, the freedoms that we have in the United States of America. Today we have the freedom to gather like this in public assembly to open the scriptures and to worship Jesus. What a great privilege that is. Amen? And so may we never, never take that for granted. I think we'll see a lot more uh, about that kind of heart as we get into this passage. What I'd like to do is read these verses, pray, and then spend some time uh, unpacking it together. Beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege that we have to gather together every Sunday to remember the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to be able to open the scriptures. What a joy it is to be able to uh, explain and understand their meaning. What a joy it is to sing and celebrate the great grace of our Savior Jesus. And God, I pray today as we look at this subject of persecution, God, I pray that you would help us in greater measure to have hearts that are filled with gratefulness and thanksgiving. God, would you help us uh, to take very seriously the call that's in this passage today to have our hope not in our earthly possessions but in our eternal possessions and to be faithful to you no matter what the cost may be. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd guard my lips, help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth from your word, and would you give us all soft hearts and and bring the words of the scriptures to life today. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. I want you to think back to a time early in your life when you can remember feeling ashamed because someone made fun of you. Maybe Maybe it was at school, And the the school kids decided that there was something odd or different or unusual about you, and they started picking on you. Maybe it was in the neighborhood. Maybe it was siblings or, or cousins. Or maybe, tragically, it was your own parents putting you down. Maybe it wasn't something directly said to you. Maybe you overheard someone making fun of somebody else for something that they liked and you thought, oh, I, I like that too. I'd better shut up and keep that to myself so that they don't make fun of me for liking that same thing. Can you, can you connect with that feeling of embarrassment? Can you connect with that feeling of shame, that feeling of, ooh, I need to shrink back just a little bit and not open my mouth? I think there's something about the fallen human condition where we really thrive on putting one another down. I know it sounds a little bit like an after-school TV special, but there's just something in the fallen human condition where we like to make ourselves feel better by putting other people down. Would you agree? It's, It's far too common. That's just a baseline in the human condition, but there's something else. There's something else that we have to understand, especially being followers of Jesus, being disciples of Jesus. Well, that adds an additional target on your back, as it were. Because, see, see, being associated with Jesus means that you're going to be subject to the same treatment that Jesus received. And how many of you know that Jesus ruffled some feathers? How many of you know that Jesus didn't always win popularity contests? How many of you know that at the end of his, his, his life, they put him to death because of what he said and because of what he did? Spoiler alert, he didn't stay dead. That's great. I'll get to that later in the sermon. But to be associated with Jesus is to experience more than just your average run-of-the-mill being put down. It's actually to experience what the Bible would call reproach. And that's not a particularly common word that we use in our culture, but reproach, the reproach of Christ. We've been talking about, in the book of Hebrews for some time, the fact that the, the people, the first hearers of this sermon and the recipients of this letter, they were tempted to withdraw from Jesus. They were experiencing widespread persecution. We've been talking about it literally since the beginning of this sermon series and here we see exactly what's been going on, what's been causing them to be fearful, what's been causing them to maybe run the risk of falling away from Jesus and not staying faithful to him at the end. And we're going to see this, there's a real sense in which followers of Jesus should expect to be persecuted. But here's the big idea for today. Despite persecution, Christians can joyfully persevere because of the promise of the gospel and the hope of an abiding eternal possession. I'm going to say that again. Because of the gospel and the promise of eternal life, Christians can joyfully persevere in the middle of persecution. The author of Hebrews is going to lay it out real nicely for us. We're going to see persecution. We're going to see its nature, what it is. We're going to see the promise of the gospel and how that sustains us. And then we're going to hear a call to persevere, to not give up, to keep going, to keep following Jesus. So Those are the three things we're going to see today. Persecution, the promise, and persevering. So let's start back in verse 32 and look at the nature of persecution first. Verse 32, recall the former days when, after you were, what's the word, Sound City? Enlightened. Now, in the New Testament, that word enlightened is often a, a metaphor, a euphemism, as it were, for becoming a Christian, for getting saved. If you're enlightened, it's like, it's like you think about flipping a light switch on. At w- one time you were in spiritual darkness. You didn't see God. And then, boom, God does this work. The light switch is flipped, and you now get to see the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This, this picture of being enlightened is a, is a term very often for salvation so notice this notice the order here after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings okay we need to talk about this because sometimes there are preachers christian authors who like to say things like if you come to jesus all your problems will go away if you come to jesus you're going to be nicer your spouse will be three times more attractive, your bank account's gonna be full, and all of your acne is gonna go away, right? Like, like sometimes these, these promises that you hear so-called Christian preachers or authors make is come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's like the same kind of advertising campaign that the casinos use or the Washington Lottery. Come to Jesus, what can you imagine? Hashtag Jesus, right? Like it's silly, it's silly because not only does the scripture tell us that that very often coming to Jesus actually results in more trials and hardships but experience does as well i've actually had a conversation in recent weeks with two brand new christians just got saved within the last few months both of them said man i i i, I it's really been hard <laughs> since coming to jesus i've had all sorts of family issues to deal with i've had all sorts of temptations to want to go back to previous sins it's been really challenging how many of you would say when you when you met Jesus, when you came to Jesus, you experienced hardships? Right? It's almost almost all of us in here. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now here's the nature of it: sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So sometimes he's saying you yourselves were were persecuted sometimes you yourselves had all hardship but other times it's just that you were friends with other people who were experiencing hardships how many of you know that sound city bible church is not the kingdom of god how many of you know that we this local body of believers called sound city we are but one stone in a wall in a corner of this massive thing called the household of god and when others in the household of God, when others in the kingdom of God suffer, well then guess what? We suffer as well, don't we? We're not independent. We are not on our own. We are not disconnected. We are part of this capital C church, the, king, the people of God, the, the visible expression of the kingdom of God on earth today. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partnered with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. Some people were being thrown into prison because of their faith in Jesus. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Some of them were having their things stolen out of their house simply because of their association with Jesus. Now, we can can look at this description and in our Western American comfortable mindset, we can think, well, persecution, that's something that happened a long time ago, right? I mean, I remember reading about the Romans, and they would throw Christians to the lions, and they would, they would use them as, you know, human torches to light the par- parties of the emperors, but, but that stuff still doesn't happen today. Surely, surely it doesn't happen today. And I would submit to you that that's a very ignorant mindset. It's a very short-sighted mindset. I don't have time I could spend the entire sermon talking about examples uh, in the world today, 2016, about our Christian brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Let me just give you a couple of examples. First example is in Iraq. There's a group called the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. They did a report in 2015 that says that between the years 2003 and 2013, the Christian population in Iraq was cut in half, primarily due to to religiously motivated warfare and conflict. Primarily, you, you guys are all familiar with ISIS. Due to the religious conflict that's happening with ISIS. See, ISIS is, is one group of Muslims and they, they have uh, disagreements with other groups of Muslims, but then there's a pecking order. So once they're done uh, getting rid of the unfaithful Muslims, well then they go down to the rest of the infidels like Christians or, or um, Jews or, or Buddhists or Hindus, whatever. There, there's, there is a pecking order. But Christians in particular have taken a massive hit in the nation of Iraq. The nation where Daniel got down on his knees and prayed three times a day to God. Morningstar News reports that since 2004, there have been more than 80 attacks on Iraqi Assyrian churches. Uh, These are Chaldean or Syriac churches in particular. That's a very old form of church that can trace their roots back to some of the earliest days of Christianity. More than 80 attacks, systematically planned attacks, where people are gathered in a room, something like this, and someone walks in and detonates an explosive device, seeking not only to damage the building, but to kill as many people as they possibly can happening today relevant magazine reports that isis has systematically targeted religious minorities for abduction and in particular they really like to abduct and kidnap young girls because the youngest girls ages about one through nine can sell for a really good price of 170 dollars usually for sex slavery and in particular christians are targeted Just around the corner in Syria, some of you who have been paying attention to the news know that for the last approximately four years or so, uh, there's been a violent civil war raging in Syria. Again, religiously motivated civil war, religiously motivated conflict. World Vision reports that there are 13 million people in Syria that need humanitarian assistance. This is just basic needs, food, water, shelter, There's six and a half million people have been displaced because of this conflict, and there are 4.8 million who are refugees, and a massive number of them are Christians. More than 450,000 Christians have fled their homes during the Civil War, writes the New York Times. I had an opportunity um, about a month and a half ago to have a conversation with some of the leaders at at World Vision, and they were saying that this, this crisis with Syria not to be hyperbolic, not to sound dramatic, but it is literally unlike anything we have seen in the history of the world. The number of people who have died or have been displaced is unprecedented in human history, and it is, again, due to religiously motivated violence. Other groups are being hit as well, but Christians are suffering. Our Christian brothers and sisters, right now, today, And that's just two. I don't have time to go through the whole list of what the the, the U.S. Commission for Religious Freedom called tier one countries, the the countries where the worst violations of religious freedom are happening. Countries like Burma or the Central African Republic. China. China is a tier one country where the, the worst religious oppression is happening. Egypt, Eritrea, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Syria, as I mentioned, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Vietnam. Those are just tier one countries where things like what I just mentioned are happening. There's also a tier two and a tier three where slightly less extreme things are happening. This week as I was, as I was prepping for this, I just I found myself struck with the thought that here we are on a Sunday morning, Sitting in this room, air conditioned, comfy seats. I mean, yeah, the rows are a little bit too close together, but you know. I was just thinking, we literally have volunteers who go out to the road and put signs, bright signs with arrows pointing in, saying, We're gonna worship Jesus in here. And right now, today, we have brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters who are gathering trying to keep it as quiet as possible so that no one finds out, so that they don't get shot at or get arrested or get thrown in prison. Since the beginning of the Christian church, since the beginning of people following Jesus, since day one, there's been persecution. There's been opposition and persecution to Jesus and his followers. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? Why? Why shouldn't it surprise us? Because Jesus himself said it was going to happen. John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were the same as the world, if you just did what the world did, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, Christians, you need to hear that. You are not of the world. You belong to a different kingdom. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. Since the beginning, the people of God have experienced persecution, opposition, and hardship. And might I submit to you, might I submit to you, I want to, I want to, walk this I want to walk this tightrope I want you to hear the balance on this okay number one we are not persecuted I have had conversations with people here in the United States who have experienced threats of physical violence from family members particularly uh converts from Islam here in the States where they're afraid for their lives they're afraid uh, of, of their safety but by and large we are not persecuted like that amen okay just because your boss won't let you use the conference room for a weekly Bible study, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. (laughs) Maybe you just don't respect their time and they didn't want to give you the conference room. I don't know. My friends wouldn't go see the latest Christian movie with me. Persecution. No, you're not. It's not persecution. Maybe it's just a bad movie and your friends didn't want to go see it. I don't know. We need to be very careful about how we use this word persecution. And let me go a step further. We need to put to death any sense of entitlement that we have in our own lives. We're here celebrating Memorial Day weekend. This is an opportunity for us to um, memorialize and honor those brave men and women who have fought and died so that we can have freedom in this country to do what we're doing right now. Have Have you meditated or thought on the fact that in the history of human civilization, what we have is utterly unique. A a nation founded on this idea of freedom to practice religion as you see fit. What a remarkable blessing. What a remarkable gift we have. What a remarkable freedom we have. Wherever there is entitlement or ungratefulness in our hearts, may we seek to put that to death and in a hurry. Amen? And I'm not going to prophesy or prognosticate about the future. I don't, I don't know what could happen in the United States of America. Uh, we could very well see at some point in the future Christians and other groups not having the same kind of religious freedoms that we do. I don't know. I don't want to be fear and gloom and doom. I also don't want to be pie in the sky. But while we have them, let's enjoy them. Let's give thanks to God for them. And let's seek to share the gospel as much as we possibly can. And let's seek to gather together for worship regularly and gather together in community regularly and and not, again, not take for granted these wonderful opportunities that we have. Amen? So we're not persecuted. We're not persecuted. Starbucks did not write your name wrong on your cup because you're a Christian. They just couldn't hear you, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Not that that's ever happened to Starbucks, right? Right, Genesee? Never happened, right? But did you notice what the author of Hebrews said? In in verse 33, he talks about reproach, being subject to reproach. And and that's, again, that's kind of an old-fashioned word. We don't use that. But but if you look in in the Greek, it it can be translated in a wide variety of ways. It can be reproach, or it can be reviling. It can carry the the connotation of an insult or, or harsh words. Actually, the same Greek word can be translated as a rebuke, just a strong word. It is actually the same word that Jesus himself used in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 when he's in the Beatitudes section. He wraps up this Beatitudes section by saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed uh, are those who are persecuted. That's our word, persecuted again. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. Same Greek word, reproach, revile, insult. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. What's the word, Sound City? Falsely, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. There's more joy talk in the middle of it, by the way. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pull, survey. Have you ever heard someone Make fun of Christians. Okay. That was a good survey. I like this. I might, I, I might have a future in surveys here. Second survey. Have you ever heard someone say something not true about Christians? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Is what, is what Jesus was saying truthful? Reviling and uttering all kinds of evil? So, so on the one hand... We as Christians, we don't experience persecution in that sense. We don't have a a gun pointed to our head. We're not under the threat or or, or duress of being arrested. However, we do exist in a culture where there is much mocking, where there is much maligning, and there is much falsehood spoken about those who follow Jesus. Sometimes we do bring it on ourselves. Sometimes Christians, we can be hypocrites. We can be jerks. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. But but here's the deal. (laughs) Sometimes we're not, and the world hates us because we don't belong to the world, we belong to Jesus. This is happening every single day in America. This happens every single time when you turn on, you know, whatever, the Daily Show, the History Channel, what, it doesn't matter. You watch TV shows, and, and they mock, and they malign Christians. This happened uh, night before last. My wife and I were watching a TV show that we liked, and uh, they, they, they created this whole family, where, uh, the, the, you know, there's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, the girlfriend's whole family are all just religious wingnuts, and the dad's, you know, Pastor Terry, and he's got to go to the Bible study and the prayer meeting, this or that. And, and at one point it sounded like he was Baptist, and then later in the episode they said, oh, he's got to go to Mass. So I'm like, hold on a second, that's Protestant and Catholic. Like, if you're going to make fun of us, at least do it accurately, right? It's like when I make fun of Pastor Travis for being a redneck. He's like, no, I'm a Texan, I'm not a redneck. Those are two different things. I like, get it straight, right? We, we exist in this, this culture where more and more and more, That's the acceptable lane where you can mock and you can make fun and you can revile all those fundamentalists, those Bible thumpers, those Christians. And actually more and more and more, we see people who at one point maybe would have identified as Christians on a survey or on a a census, identifying as none. Not a nun like not a Catholic woman who lives in a convent, but like a nun, N-O-N-E. No religious affiliation whatsoever. In fact, uh, it's been written about widely, you can Google it, The Rise of the Nuns. That actually sounds like a sci-fi movie or something, but a uh, sci-fi channel movie. The, the Rise of the Nuns, meaning that the, the number of people who identify with no religious affiliation whatsoever has been increased by 25% in recent years. I don't know. Here's what um, Ed Stetzer, one writer, he's a pastor and, and a teacher and an author, and he studies social trends. This is what he writes. The cultural cost of calling yourself Christian is starting to outweigh the cultural benefit. What he's saying is, it it used to be socially advantageous to say, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but now in our culture, it's it's no longer that way. The pressure kind of swings the other direction. So, those who do not identify as Christian, here's the key phrase, according to their convictions, are starting to identify as nuns because it's more culturally savvy, Christianity is losing and will continue to lose its home field advantage. No one can or should deny this. Particularly for those of you who are of the older generation, you have to understand there has been a, a, a seismic shift has taken place in the United States in your lifetime. Those of you of younger generations, you need to understand it wasn't always like this. But either way, we're living in the middle of a pretty dramatic shift. Now, I would submit to you that these statistics things are, are no reason to panic. Um, I like the way that Tim Keller puts it, what we're seeing is not the death of Christianity, we're seeing the death of what he calls the mushy middle. Meaning there's this whole group of people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe it, I just kind of say I believe it. And as that cultural pressure has been turned up, they go, actually, you know what, I think I need to be consistent. I don't want to call myself a Christian, I don't really believe this stuff. Interestingly enough, Ed Stetzer and others report that the number of evangelical Bible-believing Christians who regularly attend church has actually risen 4% over the last few years. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a sharpening of the lines. We're seeing, uh, you know, that kind of gray area starting to fade away. It is polarizing, unfortunately, but we're seeing a sharpening contrast. Let me just say this. Here in the United States of America, again, we're not persecuted in that way, but we do experience Mockery, reviling. I mean, how many of you? You go to your workplace, you go to your, your place of employment, you go to your children's school, you go to the gym, you go to places where you you know people and you 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 have conversations with people, and you, you kind of feel this sense of like, ooh, I don't want to, I don't wanna speak up. Kind of that shrink back that I feel ashamed. I know this is true for myself. I know this is true for myself. I had a conversation with someone recently who had worked at the church for a long time and only recently in the last year went uh, to work in a, just a, a secular office place and they was like, man, I did not expect this level of, of pressure. I didn't expect the conversation to be just so rapidly, so va- uh, vastly different. And honestly, you know, I know, I work at a church. For the most part, I work with all Christians. I mean, I'm still praying for Pastor Shane, but other than that, I mean, I work with all Christians. <laughs> Love you, bro. You know, we... we but then I go, I'll go to the gym or I'll go to my kids' school or I'll go even just in our neighborhood and have these conversations with people. And I can, I can readily admit I feel that sense of just, ooh, I don't want to necessarily speak up and identify with Jesus. Yeah, I'm on Team Jesus. Yeah, I take the Bible real seriously. I read it you know, every day, I try to read it every day, I believe it's the literal Word of God, inspired inerrant, and errant. shrink back. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? Here's the deal we could be the most kind, gracious, generous, loving people on planet earth and we would still expect up op- and we would still experience opposition. How do i know that? Because Jesus was the most kind, loving, generous, gracious person who has ever walked the planet and they killed him. After they tried multiple times before. We cannot expect That, well, if I was just nice enough or if I was just kind enough or if I was just soft-spoken enough that everyone would like me. No, being a follower of Jesus will by nature put you at odds with the world because the world operates according to a different kingdom. The world is led by a different ruler and you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Christian, expect persecution. Expect opposition. Amen? Now, let's look at the promise though. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That's that's terrible. How many of you have ever had your, your property stolen? Anybody ever had your house broken into or your car broken into? Uh, I had a guitar that my parents gave to me as a high school graduation present. I've had it stolen from me twice and recovered twice. Totally different story for a different sermon. But but what a, isn't that just such a violating feeling? I mean, that's what these people are experiencing not only being thrown into prison, but just having their stuff stolen from them. Oh, you follow Jesus? I'm taking that. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Look, look at these people. Look at these people. Look at the encouragement the, the author of Hebrews is speaking to them. Says, he says, You have compassion. These people are not going through this suffering with cold and indifferent hearts. Well, just another 50 years or so and then we can all die. Like they're not going through like like Sam the Eagle from the Muppets or something, right? These are people who have compassion. When you look in the the English word compassion, we don't use the word passion this way as much, but but passion literally means to suffer. And so compassion means I'm going to co-suffer. I'm going to suffer alongside you. I'm going to enter in. If you're weeping tears, I'm going to weep tears alongside you. You've had your stuff stolen, you're financially destitute, I'm going to open up my wallet, I'm going to open up my bank account to care for you. I'm going to suffer alongside of you. These people knew, like I said a minute ago, that we're all in this together, church family. We're all in this together. Which is why community and relationship is so incredibly important. These people have compassion. These people have joy. Joy. Do you see the word joyfully in there? They they didn't just accept the plundering of their property, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. I don't know about you, but when I've had stuff stolen from me, I wasn't particularly joyful about it. Joy was one of the markers of these people. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of reviling, they're they're marked by compassion, and they're marked by joy. But, But even more, they're marked by confidence. Verse 35, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. They're not shrinking back. They're not not gonna pull away from Jesus. We know because of the the context of Hebrews, maybe some are, but by and large, these people he's speaking to, he says, don't throw away your confidence. You've had confidence in Jesus. Step forward. Don't be ashamed to identify with him. The, The question I wanna ask when I see these descriptors is, how? How in the world Are these people able to experience all of this opposition, harassment, persecution, plundering, imprisonment, reviling? How in the world are they able to have compassion and joy and confidence? The answer is right there in the middle of the text. It says this, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He says, let let me summarize this, let me paraphrase this. He says, you're able to put up with a lot because you remembered the gospel. The gospel being that Jesus, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor, that in him through his life and his death and through his resurrection, we might receive an eternal inheritance. Friends, that we might receive eternal life. Jesus is the one who said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, store up treasures in heaven, store up eternal treasures where nothing can touch it. Friends, these people were able to joyfully and confidently and compassionately endure hardship because they knew where their real treasure lies. That's better than any TV you've ever had stolen from you. That's better than any guitar you've ever had stolen from you. It's better than any reputation you've had stolen from you because you know what your reputation is before God? You are loved. You are unashamed before Him. Friends, the only way that you're going to be able to persevere through opposition and through persecution is by remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ i can't stand here and say well you just need to be tougher and just deal with it people are not going to like you go thick-skinned ones right i can't do that i can't do that i can't say well you just got to be way way nicer some of you are mean and you just need to be way nicer it's true that'll be another sermon some of you are mean and you need to be nicer but the only hope we have to be able to endure in the face of persecution is the gospel of jesus christ you have an abiding hope Friends, do you know that you're going to live forever? Do you know that quite literally one of the promises of the gospel is that Jesus said, even though you die, yet shall you live? Whoever whoever believes in me, I'll raise him up on the last day. Do you know you're going to live in a a perfected world that's free from persecution one day where, where King Jesus rules and reigns? So literally, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's the worst thing that happens to you? They make fun of you, they take your stuff, they kill you. You get to go be with Jesus. And you get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, as you enter into his kingdom. That's pretty awesome. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word. Is that freeing to anyone here? I think it's freeing. I think it frees you from two things. I think it frees you from anger. Well, oh, they made fun of me, they they put me down, they made fun of my Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit them back. I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta. Evernote full of Bible verses I'm gonna send to them, and I got a video to Ravi Zacharias, and he'll put that darn atheist in his place. Like it frees you from being combative and angry and trying to just prove yourself like you can't treat me that way. They treated Jesus that way. I don't like it. I'm not saying you know, you have to be phony or glib about it, but it frees you from anger. The other thing it frees you from is fear. (gasps) What if they make fun of me? What if they don't like what if what if somebody doesn't like me? Well, what if they don't like you? dearly beloved in Christ? What if they make fun of me? You're named as an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. What if I lose social status? You've been raised and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What what can man do to you? What can man do to you? I love the way that John Calvin puts it. Wherever there is a lively perception of heavenly things, the world with all its allurements is not so relished So that neither poverty nor shame can overwhelm our minds with grief. (laughs) Wherever you have a lively perception of heavenly things, wherever you really have a good picture of the gospel and your eternal possession, the things of this world just aren't gonna hold that much power over you. You're free, Christian. You're free. You're free. Is that good news to anybody here this morning? You are free. So we've seen the nature of persecution, we've seen the promise of the gospel, now let's look at this call to perseverance. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, now he's quoting from the Old Testament here, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I want you to notice after he's after he's talked about the gospel, after he's shared with them what their great hope is, he, he makes a call. He makes a call to persevere. This perseverance looks like a couple of things. First of all, it looks like faith. It looks like faith. Here he's quoting from uh, the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk in chapter two. And it brings up this idea of faith. Let me, let me just say, uh, we're going to spend several months looking at the subject of faith. The author of Hebrews is really turning a corner here. This is a a pivot or a hinge sort of verse where now the majority of chapter, or the entirety of chapter 11 is going to be looking at examples of faith and what does it mean to actually have faith in God. So I won't take too much time here, but let me just simply say this. Faith is believing the promises of God. Faith is believing the promises of God, even when you can't really see them. God has promised that we'll have eternal life. God has promised that he loves us. God has promised that our eternity is secure. God has promised that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. We don't see Jesus face to face. Sometimes we feel insecure. Sometimes we're we're, we're still living in this fallen world and sometimes it feels like Jesus' return is so far away. But faith is having a trust that God is not a liar and that what he says is true. Friends, do you have faith? Do you have that belief in Jesus? Does your faith falter sometimes? The second part of this is is he talks about having courage. Don't shrink back. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Courage. You know, sometimes, um, this this is one of my great pet peeves. In the American church, we sometimes have this mindset or this attitude like, well, if we just changed certain things, then we'd be more attractive to the outside world. If maybe we didn't talk about judgment or sin or wrath or hell or maybe if we maybe if we just you know were nicer and friendly, maybe if we had better coffee, maybe if we had better, you know, sound and lighting, maybe, maybe if we were just cooler. If we were just more relevant, right? Like like cool people, then people would want to come hang out with us because we're cool. Like, friends, the church will never be cool. Can I just say if you are cool, god bless you we want you to be here <laughs> but if you're not it's it's just the nature of the church jesus never said they're going to know that you're my disciples by your coolness <laughs> he said you're going to know you're my disciples by your love I think there is a real cowardice that sometimes sneaks into the American church where we say, we're going to shrink back and pull back and kind of soften things. We don't want to ruffle any feathers and everything's just nice and and the the room is always the perfect temperature and everything. is. Friends, we need to have courage. Where's your courage? Where's your courage? Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father. If you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before my Father. That is a sobering thing. Friends, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers. We read that a few chapters ago in Hebrews. Are you ashamed to be associated with Jesus? Where is your courage? Where is your courage? Don't shrink back. Some of you tend towards this this fear. And I want to poke you and I want to prod you and I want to call you like the author of Hebrews says. Look at the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done. Let's have courage. But the third thing he says is endurance. You have need of endurance. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Well, how long? When's he coming? Endure. Some of you tend towards the combative. Oh, you, you talk bad about Jesus. I'm gonna put you down. I'm gonna put you in your place. I'm ready for, I'm just looking for a fight. Some of you are looking for a fight. Might I remind you that our Savior, Jesus, is the one of whom it is spoken that like a sheep before its shears, is silent. So he was before his accusers. When they took Jesus to his, his mock trials, they made all sorts of wild accusations against him, false accusations. They brought forward false witnesses who directly lied about Jesus. What did Jesus say? Nothing. He entrusted himself to his father. Do you entrust yourself to your father? Do you trust your reputation? Some of you don't need to hear the courage exhorting. Some of you need to hear the endure, patience. Humble. You're not going to change the world with all of your right arguments. Yes, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within, but sometimes you're just going to have to sit and let people mock you and lie about you because you're associated with Jesus and what they did to him too. The apostle Peter agrees, First Peter 3, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brother love, a tender heart, I love this phrase, and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling, there's our word again for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Let me just close with this thought. Some of you have experienced genuine persecution, hardship, opposition, whatever you want to call it because of your association with Jesus. I've had conversations with some of you. Some of you have had friends and family members say, I don't want to have relationship with you anymore because of your association with Jesus. Let me simply say that we weep with you. And what's more, your Savior weeps with you because he knows what it's like to be rejected even by family members for proclaiming the message of the kingdom. Some of you are ashamed at times about being identified with Christ. You need courage. You need courage. Have courage, friends. Some of you are a little too courageous and you're looking for a fight. Have have humility. Have patience. Understand that it takes a miracle of Jesus to change someone's heart and mind. Be faithful, but don't go looking for a fight. And then finally, some of you here today, maybe you're not a Christian and you've been the mocker. You've been the one who's spoken ill of Christians, of believers. The Bible says, make no mistake, God will not be mocked. And I would just submit to you that, that you're, you're playing a very dangerous game. I would invite you to receive this gift of grace, to receive this gift of mercy that God's offering through His Son, Jesus. Receive the gift of eternal life. Receive uh, the, the, the hope that comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. And Come and join the team of people who have been be- being made fun of and persecuted for 2,000 years we're some real winners. Because ultimately, our confidence is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Amen? I want to call us to respond now. I want to respond in, us to respond in a variety of ways. Uh, a few of our normal ways and a few, uh, one a little bit different today. First, we're going to respond through the giving of our tithes and offerings, and so I'd like to invite the financial stewards to go ahead and collect the offering now. If you're here and you're a guest, I don't, don't want you to feel like you're under any obligation to give, but uh, if you would mind, as, as they're passing the offering to just pass the buckets down to the people uh, in front of you. And while they're collecting the offering, let me go over a few discussion questions and things for us to talk about and pray about this week in our community groups. Number one, read Matthew 5:10 through 12, and discuss the nature of persecution. What is and isn't persecution? Number two, how can we remain faithful to Jesus even in the middle of persecution and opposition? Number three, how can we help each other maintain a gracious and loving attitude even when others oppose or mock or revile us for the sake of Jesus? Number four, what does it mean to remember our better and abiding possession? How does this truth free us from anger and fear? And lastly, number five, this is important. Read Ephesians 6.12. This is this section about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. When facing opposition, how can we help each other remember who the real enemy is and how does this truth free us? A couple things to pray about. Number one, pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Pray for their protection and pray that God would enable them to remain faithful. Number two, pray that we as disciples of Jesus would persevere no matter what opposition we faced. And number three, pray for God to save and transform those who currently persecute Christians. We're also going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And as the, the, the servers begin to, to pass out the elements, I would just invite you to, to hold on to these. We'll take this all together in just a minute. I we'll would invite you to, to not open them just yet and, and begin to partake. But let me just say this to you. This, this practice of communion, when you really think about it, it's kind of an unusual thing, isn't it? We take bread and we take juice every week and remember a, 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 a a body that was beaten lifeless and blood that was poured out. We do this because we identify with Jesus. In his death, we find life. Today, as we, as we celebrate communion, as we celebrate the Lord's table, let's remember that we are worshiping a Savior who, who for our sake was, was beaten beyond recognition, was harassed, was opposed, was mocked, was crucified, was crucified. Let's remember today with communion that that this isn't cool. Communion isn't cool. This is sacred. This is a memorial meal for us to remember our Savior's death and His resurrection. This is for Christians, by the way. If if you're not a Christian, um, I would encourage you to either abstain or give your sin to Jesus. Trust in Him and join us as we celebrate the table. While we're celebrating communion, I'm going to invite our musicians to come forward. Now we're going to do something a little bit different. We've done this in the past. We haven't done this recently. We've done this in the past. We're going to take a few minutes. We're actually going to pray together in service right now. You know, I was struck this week as I was prepping and preparing that, again, these freedoms that we have, these liberties that we have, we don't ever want to take them for granted, amen? And right now, right now, as we are worshiping, there are other Christians around the world who Who are experiencing hardship, persecution, real threat. And I wanted for us to take a minute and just pray. We'll leave these prayer points up on the screen. But I thought we could maybe take a minute and just pray together as a church family for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. If God's put a specific country on your heart, you can pray for them. If there are people that you may personally know overseas, you can pray for them. If you want to just pray more in general, you can do so. I'll invite you to maybe even gather up in in groups of two or three or four. Uh, You don't have to. You're welcome to just pray on your own. But if you'd be willing to just kind of huddle up with somebody and pray For our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world and we can pray for ourselves as well that god would help us no matter what's coming in our future that we would remain faithful as well so what do you say sounds can we take a few minutes and pray together before we continue our time of response you good with that all right so here's what i want you to do just look around maybe you've got you know friend or a spouse or community group member with you i'll count to three and then we'll spend some time huddled up praying together ready one two three let's pray